This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I was blind, but now I see. Working jobs we hate, so we can buy shit we don't need. Ideas are brittle. If you had one shot, everything I'd ever read, heard, seen was now organized and available. Now you fucking khakis. Life moves pretty fast. The Biohacking Secret Show. Today's episode is all about biohacking your hormones. We'll be talking with John Romanello, New York Times bestselling author of the book Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha, and founder of Roman Fitness Systems. John's an entrepreneur, angel investor, and trusted advisor to nearly a dozen tech and fitness companies. He's an expert in the field of hormone optimization and in helping men leverage their DNA to become better versions of themselves. He's a celebrated author and has written for a number of publications on everything from insulin sensitivity to investment strategy. You can find out more about John on the web at romanfitnesssystems.com. On today's show, we're going to be talking with John about how to hack your testosterone to increase performance. And we'll be deep diving into a number of topics, including how missing out on sleep, both in quantity and quality, can cause you to age 15 times faster. Some of the often overlooked lifestyle and nutritional problems that are keeping your testosterone in the gutter and how to fix them. Why we shouldn't use bioidentical hormone replacement therapy as a band-aid and what to do instead. Why it's critical to get your testosterone levels checked and establish a baseline. John's current workout routine, how John leverages the first 90 minutes of his day to maximize productivity, and much, much more. So without further ado, please welcome John Romanello to the show. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hey, everyone. I know you'll enjoy the interview. If you'd like to learn more of my top biohacking secrets, get a free copy of my best-selling book called The Biohacker's Guide to Upgraded Energy and Focus for free at biohackersguide.com. It's over 500 pages of my top biohacks, and I'll send it to you for free if you cover a small shipping cost. Get your free copy at biohackersguide.com. All right. So best-selling book. You're an angel investor, author. You've got a background in bodybuilding. When people ask you, what do you do? What do you say? Uh, it depends on who I'm talking to. If I am talking to someone and I'm trying to go into business with them, I normally introduce myself uh, or, or you know, work into the conversation that I'm a New York Times bestselling author. That sort of opens a lot of doors. Back in the day, if I was trying to pick up a girl, I would say I was a writer because that seems to just like open a lot of uh, a lot of doors for questions. But in general, you know, I'm just like I'm a guy running a business. I send emails about fitness shit. Yeah, <laughs> nice. You grew up enjoying comics and, and really into superheroes and things like that. Yes, sir. What got you into specifically hacking testosterone and finding ways to to optimize male performance? Uh, well, that came later. So, um, you know, I was sort of a chubby kid growing up. And then once I got fit, um, I, I enjoyed like four or five years of relative nirvana. And then when I was about 25, um, I had this weird experience where I was um, – I was just like really not sleeping a lot and I was, I was like working hard trying to just like crush life and, and um, there were a number of things that I was doing wrong that I didn't realize but the thing that sort of tipped me off to all this is I had this, uh, I had this beautiful girlfriend I was dating at the time, uh, this Polish chick named Alexandra and we were, we were living together, um, think, you know, we moved in together, it was great, we had this amazing experience and then it was like, I don't know, like six or seven months in, we just sort of stopped having sex. And I wasn't even like sort of aware of it. Like I just didn't even miss it. And, and um, so she sort of brought it up a few times and I was like, oh, yeah, no, I guess it has been a while. That's weird. And, and you know, so there was this period where I wasn't, you know, it was such a, like a, a gradual decline that I didn't notice the absence of it. And then once it was made aware of it, 
it was this thing, this driving force, this sex drive that I had always had. I'd been, always been like a very virile guy and it was just gone. So then I just tried to like fix the problem by actively trying to force myself to have sex even though I didn't want to. And, and it's this weird sensation where, you know, like you, the idea of it is like, is like imagine if you've eaten to the point you're full and you, you feel like you're going to vomit and like somebody is force feeding you pudding. And, and it was weird because like the idea of having sex made me feel like that, it was, which is just so fucking strange for a guy who like spends his entire, you know, early to mid 20s just trying to chase tail. And so what happened was that eventually the relationship collapsed in on itself. <laughs> as, as you, would um, you know, and, and uh, that happens. But, you know, I, it was this massive like loss of drive for me. So I jumped in and I started trying to figure out like what went wrong. And a buddy of mine who was a student of Charles Poliquin recommended that, that I get my testosterone levels checked. Now, I had had my levels checked when I was like 23 just because I, I, my doctor would do it for me and I was curious. And when I was 23, my levels were um, high 900s. And now when I got them checked again when I was 25, I was like like 430. Um, so it's a big drop-off. Now, that, that's still within the range of normal. Yeah, I see a lot of guys that are a lot worse than that. Yeah, but still for me, that's like less than half, yeah. which is a tremendous issue, right? So the range for normal is really dramatic. You know, it's depending on the lab you go to, like 250 nanograms per deciliter to 1,050 nanograms per deciliter. And that's just like, uh, that's so big, right? So like, you know, you could be like me, you could be at like 950 and be normal and then be at 430 and be normal. So right around 400 is where a lot of guys start to see the negative effects of testosterone. And for me, that's, you know, it's certainly what had been going on. And I wouldn't have thought to get my levels checked be, simply because I was so young. Um, but obviously, there was something going on. And so before we even go further into the story, the guys listening to this, do me a favor, get your levels checked right now. Even if you're not experiencing any symptoms of testosterone, go to Quest Diagnostics, go to a lab, go to your doctor, get some blood drawn, get them to test. And this is why it's important because the fact that you are not experiencing any symptoms of low testosterone is good because if you get your testosterone measured while you're not experiencing low T, now you have a baseline. And then if at any point in the future you get tested again and you've dropped off dramatically, like you have a really clear indication that something's wrong. So thank God I had gotten my levels checked when I was 23 because if I had not done that, if the only piece of data I had was getting my levels checked at 25 years old and being told you're 430, you're like right in the mid-range of normal, nothing is wrong, I never would have thought this is a problem. But when you see such a precipitous decline over two years, that was enough to clue me in. So you need to get checked so that you have those two pieces of data. Because one piece of data is, it, it's, a, you know, it's like tr trying to find someone in the snow from one footprint. Two pieces, we begin to see a pattern. So that's really what got me into it. I realized that my testosterone had dropped off. I was too young and still too, my, my, my levels were too high to qualify for any sort of testosterone replacement or hormone replacement therapy. And I really needed to sort of like figure out how to get my levels back up because it, 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 you know, like in, infected every part of my life. What, what so was your training like? What was your diet like at this time? At the, well, the reason it dropped is because like everything went like I was I was not training as frequently as I needed to be or as hard as I needed to be. So I, I really like dropped off on my training because I was running the business so much. So I wasn't sleeping enough. And in in an attempt to sort of like balance out the fact that I was training less, my I had gotten really strict in my diet and I was eating like really really um, low calorie and pretty low carb, but in retrospect like really low fat. 
and I wasn't drinking like a lot. I was not a big drinker at that point in my life. Um, but yeah, I was just not taking care of myself. Really, just not sleeping enough and, and just like not eating enough fat was a big thing. You know? Yeah, and, and under eating drastically. Sleep sleep's one of the big ones that I notice the most, and that I see with other guys that that have low tests because a lot of times they're working really hard. They're sleeping four or five, six hours consistently, and like. Yeah. So a couple of interesting statistics, right? So um, it's been shown that um, testosterone drops about 1% per year after 30, right? So about 10% per decade. So if you think that like 1% is a year of aging, keep that in mind, right? It's also been shown that if you sleep for as little as six hours per night, or if you sleep like six hours or less per night for as little as two weeks, testosterone levels can drop 15%. So by sleeping six hours or less for just two weeks, you're literally aging your body 15 years, which is pretty tremendous. Yeah. So sleep is, is massively important. That's the, you know, and it's also the one that's like the easiest to fit. It's, it's like one of those weird things that's like, oh, it's just sleep. Just fucking go to sleep. Here's a question. Do you think that you would have got to the level you're at today if you allowed for eight hours of sleep during that period of your life? During that period of my life? Sure. It wasn't until later when I was like started crushing things as, a, as an entrepreneur where I needed to give up sleep. Yeah. Because you know? so, here's the thing. Like, I, you know, I come from two worlds. Like as a, as a fitness guy, I want to tell you to like take care of your body and to, you know, get as much sleep as you can. Make sure you track your macros, like take care of yourself. Don't put fucked up substances in your body. But as an entrepreneur, as a creative person, as a writer, like for me, I'm just like, I get it done. I don't fuck. If you have something that you need to put out in the world, you do whatever it takes. I don't care if you sleep four hours a night. I don't care if you double dose on Adderall and bourbon to, to get that shit out. I don't care if you die with your hands on the fucking keys because as a writer, that is how I believe your, your responsibility to go out exists. Like, so it's like I come from these two different worlds, right? So I try to meet in the middle where like when you are not focusing intently on a project, take care of your body to the utmost degree so that you can absorb those periods of extreme stress with like relative – ease and manage to sort of like work them into the overall picture um, for, for short sprints, you know, like that's sort of my philosophy. How, how long can you sprint before you kind of crash? That's, that's one of the things that I'm having trouble mitigating right now is about three months, um, three or four, like I, I've gone as many as six where I'm just like sleeping like shit. But yeah, like for me, like two to three months is, is about where I can, you know, sleep minimally and like work on a project every day and stress myself out and just try to get it done. And then, you know, there are just like some severe consequences in terms of health and, and overall like mental health and well-being. When I was, it's weird. I wrote, I wrote this New York Times bestselling book, right? This fitness book. But I don't know that I've ever been less fit in my adult life than when I was writing that book because we had such a short deadline. We had a four-month turnaround on that book. Um, so we wrote, you know, this 300-page book in, in a really, really short time. And, you know, I was – at the time, my co-author lived here in, in Santa Monica and I was in New York. And so I was flying back five times a month. I mean I was saying five, five or six flights a month often. Um, which isn't a lot, but when you, you know, it's like, it, it actually, it started like three months prior, like when we were working on the proposal and everything. So, you know, like you think like taking like 30 or 40 flights in a four month period is like, it adds up. That's you know? a lot, yeah. And, um, 
it takes a toll on your body. Flying is not is not fun. And but also it's like, you know, I would spend four days in California and then Adam would spend four days in New York and, and we would just work for eight days straight and then maybe take a few days off. But you're just working all the time. You're researching, you're writing, you're editing, and a big part of it is really trying to make it as good as you can. And what happens is that some things got to go like workouts went like I, I just got back from the gym. I trained for an hour and a half today because that's what I like to do. I like volume training. I like being in the gym. I like to, you know, get on a treadmill and answer email for a half an hour at an incline and like really get my mind right and then spend, you know, 45 minutes like really intensely training and then, you know, do like 20 minutes of vanity work and just like get, get a pump and whatever. But our workouts at that point were like 20 or 30 minutes. So like everything dropped off. You know, our diet was like whatever food someone would be kind of like his wife or you know, my wife or, 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 you know, whoever would be kind enough to put in front of us and we would just like not look at it and just keep fucking eating. And then, you know, like going out with people schmoozing, it's just like, it's crazy. So that was like a four month sprint. And at the end of it, um, my body didn't completely break down, but like I had definitely gained a lot of weight. I was soft. I had lost a lot of muscle. It was, just, it was a, it was a really trying experience. What do your workouts look like now? You'd mentioned incline walking, you'd mentioned some strength work, vanity work. Yeah, so like I, I typically speaking, um, like right now I'm on more of like a five by five protocol. So I'm lifting reasonably heavy and then ramping up, so almost like a reverse pyramid training. So how, how long in between sets? Eh, about two minutes, okay. um, if I need it. You know, I, I prefer to be like in the sixty second range. So yeah, usually you know, like uh, I, have a, I have a reasonably logical split. And you know? like um, today I did uh, back and shoulders, and yesterday I did. Uh, quad just quads and uh, three days ago I did hamstrings and so yeah I mean like one to two body parts uh, I train six days a week you sometimes I train twice a day you know I'll do I'll like go back to the gym and do conditioning uh, I just like to be at the gym it's like it's also the only like socialization I get because I work from home so right what do you see holding a lot of guys back I mean aside from the obvious like sleep things like that what's affecting their testosterone levels that you're seeing a lot, a lot of it's the environmental stuff, you know. It's um, they're just not uh, careful with the things that they're putting in their body. They're drinking too much alcohol in a long term, and in an acute setting, it's not that big of a deal. But in a long term way, it can affect testosterone negatively. Uh, can also, if, if they're drinking beer, it has a lot of hops in it, which has a lot of phytoestrogens, which can bond to the estrogen receptor and lower. But, you know, like phytoestrogens in, in the plastics that, you know, hold the foods that we consume and the shampoos that we put in our hair and all of this stuff. Now, this seems like really minimal shit, right? It's like, so there are two arguments. It's like, how big of a difference can that really make? But I like to look at the aggregation of marginal gains, right? Are you familiar with that? So it's an economic principle, which shows that, like, if you look at a 1% increase over time, it gets to a point where that starts to go up pretty rapidly, like 1% 1% compounded over time right. really goes big. So, you know, like, yeah, ultimately, like, how big of an impact can using a different shampoo have? But on the other hand, like, how big of an impact is it to change that? Is it really that difficult? Like, I don't know. I just believe that, obviously, we always talk about move the big rocks first, right? Get your diet under order, make sure you're training. But, like, if you can also make these tiny fucking infinitesimal changes that aren't going to negatively impact your life, what's the harm? Like if they're going to have a 1% increase, like you're probably going to be a lot better off. So, you know, just making sure to use uh, minimal plastics and, and just, you know, the types that are, are BPA free or whatever it is. And, and just like try to try to limit the shit that you put in your body. I think, I think people are not training hard enough, you know? So like gold, I see a lot of guys training hard, a lot of guys training really, really hard. And then I see a lot of guys just like fucking around. Yeah. Like wasting time, not necessarily like 
working as hard as they should. And that I think like is, is just not good at all. Like you really need to be consistently putting forth effort because that is going to create not only the, the micro trauma necessary for, for muscle growth and, and, and obviously, you know, just all that, but, um, it also doesn't, you know, effort increases testosterone. Yeah. There's, I, I see, I see two camps. There's like, there's guys that are not working hard enough and that's, you know, rate limiting factor. And then I also see guys that are doing CrossFit seven days a week and on a low carb diet and, and they're coming in with tests in the, in the 100 and 200s. Yeah. So that's like just overtraining like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, but I mean, just like, you know, most guys are not overtraining. They're under recovering, right? Yes. If you're doing CrossFit and training intensely seven days per week, you should also be, you know, like making sure your macros are in the right place and you're getting enough carbs, you're getting enough fat, getting enough protein and, you know, like don't dehydrate. Another thing is like water intake is, is abysmally low for a lot of people, which compromises performance and ultimately it just like will we'll just fuck your hormonal system up. Right. What what type of water do you drink? Are you a tap water guy, filtered? Do you, how, I, how deep do I, you get into it with that? <laughs> I, you know, I, I never thought that, like, it's weird, right? Because it's like, I remember George Carlin had this bit when he started talking about people like walking around with their, their own water bottles and he's like, when did we all get so fucking thirsty? <laughs> uh, and I, I never thought that I'd get to this place where I was such like a, like a prissy bon vivant that I would have like a favorite brand of water. And I'm just like, no, bottled waters do taste different. In general, I'm, I'm good with just drinking tap water. I do. I like bubbles though. So I have a, a soda stream and I carbonate my water and I like to drink salsa. But for, for bottled waters, I do think that like there's a lot to electrolyte water, smart water, things like that. Um, but we, do, we use water filtration systems at the house. And What does the first 60 to 90 minutes of your day look like? Um, but yeah, I get up about 7.30 and um, you know, I have a, a salt water and lime juice drink um, just to like, you know, replenish hydration in the morning. And then I take a greens beverage. I use athletic greens. I mean, most of my morning is like uh, – getting my kid ready for school. And then we leave the house, like I drop him off at 8.10 and then I go right to Gold's. So um, I'm at the gym by like 8.20, 8.30 in the morning and then I'm there until close to 10.30. Has there been email or phone anywhere in here? No. No. I mean, when I get to the gym, I will check my personal email and um, like I'll respond to to the shit and like get on social media while I'm like warming up and I'm walking on the treadmill or doing my foam rolling or whatever. Because uh, that's like semi, I, I can multitask them. And then I try to minim, minimize the time on the phone when I'm actually training. So how do you reconcile maximizing your own, your body's own natural testosterone and HGH production versus optimizing quality of life? When, when do you usually, like if, if a client comes to you and says, look, I, I'm noticing some drops in sex drive, energy, you get his test checked, he's four or 500, um, early 30s. How do you kind of mitigate the two and, and, and reconcile the advice that you give guys when they're having that debate themselves? Well, reconcile which two? It sounds like there's only the one issue there. Like, so, uh, using, like, using, like going using, out partying, enjoying your lifestyle? Or? No, more so uh, waiting as long as possible to do hormone replacement therapy or maximizing your overall quality of life by using it early on, as soon as you start noticing a degradation in performance and, and sex drive? I mean, yes, but only because, like, the acts you take to optimize your hormones are going to improve, like, overall health anyway, right? Like, right. eat organic, 
you know, like eat organic grass-fed meat is a good recommendation. Whether or not you have low testosterone, that's a good recommendation. Um, get more sleep is a good recommendation whether or not you have low testosterone. Try to minimize stress. Do these types of like density-based workouts or, or like, you know, make sure you're not overtraining. That's just good advice. Um, the fact that it helps your hormones is quite beside the point. Like what we don't want. So if a guy is like 33 and money isn't in an issue – and he's like, listen, I'm going on hormone replacement therapy. I found a doctor who's going to prescribe it and like watch my levels. But what we don't want to do, what I don't want to see is have a guy start using TRT or injecting exogenous hormones in the form of like performance enhancement shit and then not make those changes. We don't want to use it as a cure-all. We don't want to just treat the symptoms. In the long run, like when it comes to your hormones, in the immediacy, if you're a young guy – the battle is you versus your lifestyle, and you can win that battle, and you can come out on top. The opponent is not your lifestyle. It's time, and time is undefeated. So eventually, if you want to like maintain that quality of life, we're all going to wind up on some sort of replacement therapy or some sort of assistance. Uh, when that happens is an entirely personal choice, whatever it, whatever it is for you. If it's like, I'm 33, I woke up without a fucking erection this morning, I'm getting on TRT. Like, it can be as simple as that. It's like people who take diet pills and then don't go work out. Supplements don't, shouldn't exist to take the place of doing the things you need to be doing anyway. Right, right. So, right. you know, the, the main thing is do those things regardless. You want to get on TRT, like... More power to you. I think that's great. You know, it's like we're we're all going to wind up on it anyway. Like at the end of the day, I think that like once you hit forty years old, like it's a real, real aggressive downhill battle, uh, or uphill battle rather. And and all of us starting at around forty should probably be on about you know one hundred milligrams of test per week, and you know one hundred to two hundred depending on on what you want to get out of it. And then, like, once you get to 50 or even, like, 40, man, like, fucking a little bit of growth hormone. Like, however however old do you want to be when you decide to stop aging, that's up to you. But, like, you know, I know I know, 28-year-old guys who are on extremely low-dose testosterone and extremely low-dose growth hormone, and it's working great for them. They're 28. They feel like they're 20. And that's, and that's good for them. The main um, stop summon block for most people is that before a certain age, it's really hard to get a doctor to prescribe that. And uh, also the expense, you know, it's like, like the, this, once you start, you're probably not going to stop. So if you look at the cost of those drugs over the lifetime, that can be a, a, a pretty um, prohibitive sum. Right. Yeah. So the differences being between like hormone replacement therapy and the way that it's used in bodybuilding, physique enhancement, higher doses cycling on and off versus low dose continuous Right, right, yeah. It's like, listen, the dose makes the poison, right? So, like, guys who are injecting a gram of test per week in addition to 400 milligrams of DECA, in addition to, like, 50 to 200 milligrams of D-ball a day, 200 milligrams of Winnie a day, 100 grams of Anavar, like, and, and then, like, 5 IUs, 5 to 10 to 20 IUs of growth hormone every day, like, that's insane. And But, like, that's what they do for their sport, and that's fine. Where's the guy's test levels at? That's taking something like that. His natural test levels are zero. Right. Uh, but his, uh, he would probably, if you're on a gram a week plus all that other shit, you'd be in the supra physiological range, which is technically anything over like, let's say 1200 nanograms per deciliter. I don't know, they might test it 2000, 
3,000 nanograms per deciliter, a lot. It'd be very high. But there's a very big difference between taking, you know, this insane amalgamation, this, you know, this cocktail of drugs at very, very high unsafe doses. That's this. And then it's like I take 100 milligrams of test per week and one IU a day of growth hormone and I feel good. Like that's – Right. Like this is – it's like, you know, this guy in, in a year, this guy in one year will not get the same amount of drugs as this guy gets in a, a month and a half. Right. You know, so and, and at a certain point, you're increasing your, I mean, your IGS, IGF-1 levels are so high that your, your risk of cancer goes through the roof. And so there's, there's that to mitigate as well. Um, what would you say is, is a stack that is, that you would recommend for a guy that's in his late twenties, early thirties, wants to optimize performance, sex drive, energy without compromising long-term health? I mean, you could probably just get on some Androgel, you know, like, which I, I think, you know, after absorption, gels seem to be popular, you know, gels and creams, which you, you rub like in really thin skinned areas. So, you know, yeah. elbow behind the knee, some guys do on the neck or the armpit. They're popular because they seem less invasive right. in terms of like it, the difference between that and like fucking injecting yourself or, or having a doctor inject you. Yeah, it's, it's definitely like an easier use, but I think it, it winds up being more expensive per milligram. But it's super easy to use, I would imagine. You know, you just get it and you fucking rub it on and then wash your hands. 100 milligrams a week for a lot of guys is enough. Yeah. yeah. Like you really for, – for, for anti-aging and just like general well-being, that's fine. At 200 milligrams a week, you're going to see higher energy. You're going to see um, definitely an increase in sex drive. You probably also see – that it's easier to get leaner and build a little bit of muscle. 200, 250 is about where I would say the dosage ends for guys who are claiming to use it for like well-being and health. Um, anything above that, you know, when you get into like the 300, 400, 500, like 500 is like a starter dose for performance enhancement. If, if you were to design like a really decent starter cycle for someone who is looking for performance enhancement, you would start at like 650 milligrams a week and then a bunch of other orals and shit, I guess. Um, but yeah, like, two, you know, 100 to 200, man, that's like, you would get, you know, I, I've seen guys just completely change, you know, like I, I saw one that I had a 68 year old client who went on growth hormone and he lost four inches on his waist in six weeks with no change to the diet or exercise just because he was doing three IUs of growth hormone a day. Like three IUs is like a very reasonable dosage. Like yeah. that's, that's, that's like anti-aging dose. You know, it's not like 12 IUs a day. It's like five. Right. Um, yeah, like two to four IUs a day. That's the sweet spot for, for growth hormone and then um, for tests, 100 to 200 a week. Have you had any luck with supplements and herbs in, in boosting testosterone levels? I mean, no, not a lot. I mean, listen, there's some stuff that seems to work really well. Like if you're a 40-year-old guy and your luteinizing hormone is low and that is like leading to, to low testosterone, some of the trivial su supplements can work pretty well, but like – like there's, you know, it, it depends on where you are. Like if you're, if you're looking to get from like 400 to 500, then something like T plus or some trivial shit like that can help. But if you're on the toilet, I don't think it's enough. You know, it's like in addition to everything, to doing everything else right. But again, it's like, it's a 1% increase probably. And over time that is pretty good. So it, it depends how much are you willing to spend to get that 1% increase, you know? Like going on hormone replacement therapy is probably like a four or five hundred dollar a month investment, 
but it's a guaranteed return. It's not 1%, it's like 150%, you know? Um, whereas like spending $60 a month on this herbal supplement for a 1% increase, I don't know, like, you know, if money is no object and you don't mind taking these three extra pills a day, awesome. If, you know, like we're, we're factoring cost in, I just think it's, it like very rarely works out to be worth it. I think that in general, um, it's a good thing to add to a stack to prevent testosterone loss. But like I, I would, I think most guys would get a lot more out of just like eating a lot more saturated fat, um, getting a lot more sleep and, and just like watching carbs. Yeah. You go through some of those, some of the recommendations that you think are overlooked a lot in your book, uh, Man 2.0, Engineering the Alpha. You talk about we're sitting way too much, we're not sleeping enough, yep. um, wrong types of carbs. What are some things that, that guys are doing that they think is healthy that's actually screwing them up? I probably just making bad food. I think under-eating is the big one, you know? Like when guys are trying to get lean, they just under-eat, and that is always going to be a recipe for disaster. Yeah. What book have you recommended or, or given to other people more than any other? The one that I have recommended, or the, you know, the one that I've given the most is probably, I might, I might not even have it because I've given it away so much. Um, the Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure for Writers by Christopher Vogler. It's a really good introduction to um, the hero's journey, uh, you know, the Joseph Campbell version of the monomyth. So I have, I have a lot of... Uh, Joseph Campbell, but the writer's journey, mythic structure for writers. I think that this is a really, a really easy intro into the hero's journey, simply because it, uh, in in Hero with a Thousand Faces, Campbell makes a lot of his points via example. And if you do not have a really strong background in mythology, you might miss a lot of those. Whereas Vogler makes a lot of those points um, using movies and television instead of myths that you may not have. Hurdle. So it's, a, it's an easier entry. The language is also a little bit less obtuse. Easier entry. And um, I think uh, this, I've probably given away 50, 60 copies of this book. Wow. And, and you use some of those strategies when writing Man 2.0? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, so the, so the hero's journey, the monomyth, is like it, what, I, what I think is like the definitive uh, description of change in any, in any sort of facet of your life. It's like the cyclical thing and it's applicable to going through a fitness transformation, getting divorced, you know, getting married, having a kid, whatever. Uh, so yeah, the, the structure of Man's Point Out is um, basically lifted directly from the monument. Nice. What, what's the coolest thing you bought for under 100 bucks recently? My sick Nike pumps. I'm bringing, oh, nice. Yes, bringing back the pumps. Did you have those growing up? Reebok pumps, not Nike. What, say Did you have those growing up? No, my mom would never spend like fucking ninety dollars on shoes. <laughs> Me either. So I was like, all the cool kids had them, and I was like, I had fucking awful shoes because we were poor. So now I'm I'm a grown man with my own business, and I can buy whatever shoes I want. So <laughs> I I wanted the Reebok pump so bad, and, and same thing, my mom would not yeah. spend that much on a pair of shoes. But so I got get them on Amazon for like seventy dollars and feel like a champion. Yep, <laughs> like a boss. Yeah, I, uh, it was funny. I was actually looking at – I got a pair of pumps. They're running ones the other day, but it wasn't the same. Um, I think I need to get like some of the old-school basketball ones. That's the move. Um, any hacks for guys that are looking to, to increase their testosterone that we haven't covered? Anything that – something Mas that – huh? Masturbate more. Masturbate more will increase testosterone. Yes, but – Decrease lifespan? Masturbate more, watch less porn. Okay. Um, so when most guys jerk off, um, 
porn is so accessible that you know guys watch a lot of hardcore pornography, which in, in, a, in, a, in a vacuum is fine or whatever, but like the effects it, it has on you can be pretty deleterious. Um, so any sort of sexual activity, whether you know like hooking up or you know getting a blowjob, jerking off, having sex, whatever, as long as you have an ejaculation and you're doing it frequently, your testosterone levels are going to increase, right? Because your body is going to respond by. Um, it's weird. You ever notice that like when you start dating someone new, you you're like you just want to have sex all the time. Yeah. The more frequently you have sex, the more you want to have sex. Sex drive goes up, testosterone goes up. Problem with porn is. Um, that it, it really messes with what's called the arousal threshold. And so, so basically what happens is like you're, you're training your brain to get aroused to a very specific and extreme set of stimuli, right? So if like you are, if you like really hardcore porn and you're watching like a lot of gangbangs or like, you know, group sex, for example, it's like, oh, there's like four dudes and six girls and it's, you know, and then it's like you transition to your real life and it's just you and one person, one penis, one vagina, pretty standard. Um, that compared to what you've seen up here is not as arousing to you. And so, so actually watching porn like really rewires the circuitry in your brain. And so there's a lot of guys who have high testosterone, but they, have, they actually experience um, trouble with sexual performance simply because they cannot get aroused uh, with another human, but they can watch porn and jerk off all day. And it, it can be really damaging. So I'm, I, I'm certainly not the guy who's ever going to tell anyone, like, don't watch porn. But I would say limit your consumption and like definitely take long breaks from it, which is huge. I actually, one of the things I did in, uh, I don't know when this is going to air, but on February 3rd of 2015, so almost a year ago to the day, I took a, a vow. I, I decided to give up masturbation, ice cream, and alcohol for one year and one day. So 366 days. Did you have your levels checked before and after the experiment? No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, I, I would imagine they wouldn't change too much because my lifestyle otherwise has not changed very much. Um, yeah, I just um, – you also just like – you don't need it as often as you think you do. I mean there's like – I remember when Tim Ferriss wrote on, uh, on his blog about giving up masturbation and alcohol for 30 days. You know, he talked about how masturbation is also a form of procrastination and often procrastination is a form of masturbation and leads directly to it. Uh, so, so what happens, I think, is like, you know, how many times during the day, like, especially if you work at home and you're alone, like, how many times during the day are you, like, trying to find any excuse not to work, and this is just like, I can do that, that'll be, I'll, I'll enjoy that 15 minutes or whatever it is. So it's just like you eliminate this other thing that you can do. Um, it also does increase probably not your sex drive, but your willingness to put in effort to get sex. Like, a big part of it for me was I thought it would, it would like force me to be a little bit more initiative, have to have more initiative in terms of trying to be the one initiating uh, sexual encounters with my wife, which has turned out to be the case, you know, like nobody wants to like, you know, for her or for me, nobody wants to be the one who's always trying to initiate. And um, not that that was like really that big of an issue uh, for us, but definitely by like not masturbating, you know, um, it, it's this weird thing. So my wife likes to go to bed really early, right? So before... It was like, well, if she goes to bed at 10 and I'm still up at 11, like, I could always just jerk off and go to bed. But now, <clears throat> I, I'm definitely going to bed earlier because I'm just like, well, she's going to be asleep. So it, it has been an interesting thing. It's definitely forced me to be a lot more, it, you know, it just sort of separates the, the sex from being this, um, or, or the act of ejaculation, the act of having a sexual experience from being this, um, like, thing that you can do whenever to be like, I need a partner for this and this is more exciting and and it's definitely added, added a lot of value to it. Um, yeah, absolutely. Is it 
positively affected your marriage? Of all the problems that a marriage can have, you know, I think like at the bottom of our list would be would be like sex. So it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty pretty solid piece of piece of our relationship. She's just so fucking hot. It's just like it's retarded. So you know, she's way out of my league, which is great. Um, yeah, just like not watching porn, I think it's positively affected my life. I had, I had a similar experience to what you described earlier in our conversation when I was overtraining. I was waking up and I didn't even notice. Like I, I was waking up without a boner. I'd go out and I, I there, you know opportunities would present themselves and I'd be like, ah, I'm just going to go home. And, and I think using that morning wood and, and sex drive as a barometer may be perhaps the most accurate indicator, even even as much or more so than any blood test. Is like I agree. Your penis is probably the most accurate barometer in the world. Yeah. All right, last question. I, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I appreciate you uh, sharing this info. I know you're a big fan of a lot of different bands, brand new. Let's say you're on an island. You got one <laughs> album you can bring with you. Indefinitely on this island, what album do you choose and why? Brand new is Deja Antandu. Um, because it is very simply uh, the single greatest indie rock album of all time. Uh, and I, I personally believe that Brand New is the greatest indie rock band of our generation. But it also, like, it, it, every single song on there has meaning for me. Um, you know, it's like that was an album that I listened to at various points in my life. You know, like when I first heard it, it was like I was at a high point in my life when I was in my very young 20s. And it, it's like that weird, like, college experience where every single friend that you have is also friends with each other. And you have this, like, seems what, like an impenetrable friend group. And it's like, this is amazing. We all do everything together and it's incredible. And then like four years, like half the people don't talk to each other anymore. And it's like, you know, but, but for that period, it was like this really positive thing. We all went to a lot of shows together and we, I remember every summer we'd go to the beach together all the time. We'd always party together. And so like when that album came out, it like really like was a big part of that piece of my life. And I, and, and like, so sometimes when I think about it, I like, or when I listen to the album, I think about that time of my life when everything was like easy and free and we were all in college and our whole futures were ahead of us. It like reminds me of being in this like really tight group with all those people who, who like helped shape me as a young man. And then it was also like a really big boon to me um, when I was like 25 and I had a series of relationships that ended badly. And there was a lot of like deep stuff on that, on that record. And, and I, and I really, I, I feel that it, it, it resonates with me. Like some other times when I listen to it, I like feel those emotions and it brings up a lot of stuff. And then uh, it also was like very cogent for me when I was like just starting my business when I was 27 and ready to make this big change. And, and uh, you know, so, so the, 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 the mythology of Brand New is very interesting because their first album was like very poppy and very punk and, um, you know, sounded like a lot of things that were out. And then Deja Entendu is actually French for heard again. And so it was their joke on the fact that they're, they're, they're recognizing that their first album sort of sounded like everything else that was out there. And, and this maturation of the second album is completely different. Right. And so for me, like the, the idea, the ideology of that was sort of when I made this big change from being a trainer and doing all these things that I'd always been doing, it was this massive shift into this new, the crossing the first threshold as, as Campbell would call it and going into this new phase of my life, this online business and actively trying not to be like everyone else at that time all of the fitness pros online were very sort of like boring and stale and not interesting. They didn't talk about their personal lives. And then, you know, I started Roman fitness systems and I kept this 
idea in my head of actively trying not to sound like everyone else. And I was dropping F bombs and talking about brand new. And like I did a four, one of my first blog posts was a 4,000 word review of Twilight. And, you know, and I was like, how, why it's like one of the worst books ever written. And I was at every single step I took, uh, I was just trying not to be like everyone else. I was trying to be as authentically me as possible. And like, I really respect brand new and Jesse Lacey and Vinicardi and those guys for following that natural evolution over and over again and not just making music that they knew people would like to hear, but making music that would bring people somewhere else. And, uh, and so I listened to that album on fucking repeat when I was like up at 3 a.m. writing blogs after training clients all day. It was, it was like this period of my life where I'd get up at six, go to the gym, train clients right in the middle of the day, you know, like, you know, have three hours of a break and then write and then train more clients and then maybe work out and then go home and fucking work on my business until two or three in the morning. And I was, and that album was always playing in my ears. So there's these like three distinct periods of my life where I feel that album like really can bring me back to, or it can, it was really important for me. So best album of all time. Very cool. Very cool. And thank you for asking me about it. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Where can people go to find out more uh, more about John Romanello and, and what you've got. I am conveniently located all over the internet. So um, I even have my own Wikipedia page, which is, which is very cool. But the main, the main hub of all of these things, all of my misadventures, is romanfitnesssystems.com, which can be hard to type because there's a lot of S's in there. So if it's easier for you, you could just type romanfitness.systems, and it will take you directly to my site. And uh, if you're interested, um, you go to romanfitnesssystems.com slash get-jacked, and you will be able to download a free 30-day program. Uh, it's called How to Look Fucking Awesome, and it's got a lot of like, muscle building and fat loss stuff in there. But I'm all over you know, the social medias. At, uh, I, I, I'm very intelligent and clever, so I just used my name for all of my social media. So I'm John Romanello on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, and even on Snapchat. So that's awesome. where I'm at. Awesome. John, I appreciate your time, brother. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and uh, fun as always. Thank you for having me, Anthony. I really appreciate it. Good talking, brother. Take care, bud. This episode is brought to you by the Earth Pulse PEMF Sleep on Command device. If you're looking for better sleep, enhanced mitochondrial function, improved performance, and accelerated recovery, I highly recommend you check out the Earth Pulse. Within the first week of sleeping on my Earth Pulse, I was seeing improved exercise performance, delayed onset of fatigue. I noticed more energy during my workouts, and I was able to break the three-minute mark on a static breath hold. I now sleep on my Earth Pulse PEMF, which stands for Pulsed Electromagnetic Field device, every single night. I have the one that has two coils. One goes under your pillow, one goes under your mattress, and I take it with me when I travel. I don't leave home without it. Every time I use my Earth Pulse, I wake up feeling clearer, calmer, and more energized. And I can tell the difference if I skip using it for a few nights. What's even cooler is it's incredibly easy to use. I just put it in manual mode, set it to 9.6 hertz, and about 15 minutes before my alarm is going to go off. And that's it. It's very easy, just a couple buttons, and the performance-enhancing benefits are profound. To learn more about the Earth Pulse and check out some of the scientific literature, you can go to biohackingsecrets.com forward slash Earth Pulse. That's biohackingsecrets.com forward slash E-A-R-T-H-P-U-L-S-E.
E. This episode is brought to you by AdrenalQuiz.com. If you're concerned about your stress levels and how they might be affecting your health, I highly suggest you head over to AdrenalQuiz.com. AdrenalQuiz.com is an easy-to-use tool for calculating and evaluating different stress-related systems and the effect they have on your body. It's also the first step in understanding how to reset your adrenals to lose weight, maximize your performance, and increase energy. I was absolutely floored when I took the quiz and realized how stressed my body actually was was. And since following the program, I've noticed great improvements in my energy, my focus, and just feel like I've experienced an overall physical and psychological reset. So if you're ready to let go of stress and reset your body, I encourage you to check out adrenalquiz.com. That's A-D-R-E-N-A-L quiz.com. 